right. Good morning. We're glad y'all are here. Is this on? Okay. No? No? All right, we'll get there. Yeah. I think it's on on this end. There we are. Hey, awesome. Thank you. Um, we are glad that y'all are here, and there are some great churches in our community, and if you've uh, chosen, decided to join us this morning, we just want to say welcome. We see some folks that from back in the day, so all kinds of folks in the room today. So we are uh, counting it a privilege and a joy to gather together, and we count it uh, really a blessing to have you join us. I think um, if this is your one installment with Crosspoint Fellowship, you know, maybe you're searching for a church home or something like that, or maybe you joined us online and uh, you're looking, you know, this is kind of your recon, um, know that you're looking in a really amazing community. I think there's some great churches in Greenville, Texas. It's a sweet spot in, um, in Texas, I think, and uh, I think you have some great options. So if this is your only installment with us, just know that we're cheering for you. I think finding a, a people, being part of a people, connecting to a people is, man, that's the bread and butter. That's a sweet spot. So we're going to start our morning in prayer, and I want to ask you, if you would, to join me. Um, if, you bring, if you're bringing some kind of burden in here this morning, um, let's just give death to the Lord right here. So just maybe if, you, if you're one that cooperates, or cooperates with gestures, I'm not one that does that, but um, as maybe the one that's leading it this morning, I can encourage you to, if you have a burden, put a hand right there, and then a handout is giving it to the Lord in prayer. So let's do that. Let's give it to the Lord in prayer. We're going to pray for people this morning as well. Lord, we bring you our burdens. What a wonderful, wonderful promise you've given us that you invite us who are weary and heavy laden to come to you and find some rest. We bring all kinds of stuff to you this morning, Lord, and we are so thankful that you are so faithful to receive us and give us help. We are so thankful. Lord, also this morning we want to uh, just pray for a people group, the Saeed people of Pakistan, an 8 million strong people group of 0.00% Christian. Lord, we lift up a people group that's so massive it's hard to even get our head around it. We are so thankful that you um, are always at work and you had one day off a long, long time ago, but you've always been at work ever since. And we're asking you to be at work among this people group, the Saeed of Pakistan. Lord, we're asking you to burden people to go to the far corners with the good news of Christ and to enjoy you in these far reaches of the field and that uh, folks may come to know you and um, enjoy you and see the greatness of uh, of all that they can have in Christ, Lord. We pray that you would connect dots in the burdened and the, the dreaming, uh, that maybe folks in the far corners would be recognizing the bankruptcy of their faith and, and that they would look for an answer and an insight and solution to their, to their, their uh, concerns and their questions and that they could find that in the person of Christ met by someone who's enjoying you in the far corners. Lord, we entrust this people group to you. We ask you ultimately for this uh, request among these other people groups who've been praying for that Christ would come back. We don't want to live here forever in a fallen world. We don't want to deal with all the stuff that we have to deal with, these burdens that we brought to you right off the bat this morning. We enjoy and appreciate the notion that those things will all be healed in time, and we recognize that point in time is the return of Christ. So we ask for that. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Your kingdom come, and we ask that your will will ultimately be done in Christ's return. Lord, also this morning, we want to pray for some other, a couple other churches uh, that are always on our hearts and minds, uh, C3 in Rockwall and C3 in Commerce, two dear daughters of this uh, church. Lord, we are thankful to have had a part to play in those two churches. And uh, the men involved, uh, Kai and Lance and Ryan uh, and David and Ron and Kevin and Tim, Lord, we entrust them to you and just ask you to bless these churches. Uh, we pray that they would be encouragement and help and a ministry to those in their communities, uh, in the Rockwall area and in commerce. And uh, we're thankful to lift them up this morning. Lord, we pray that you would guide our time. Lord, we have a feast to enjoy this morning. And I just pray that you would really be centerpiece. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. 
We are in a series, it's called God and His People series. We're looking in the book of Exodus and trying to make sense of what God did with His people 3,500 years ago. That's kind of roundabout, the time frame. And trying to figure out what in the world might He be doing with His people now. Part of the problem that we might find in our contemporary setting and in our church life is the thought that we're just reading about all stuff that happened way back then and that God's, God did a bunch of stuff that was amazing back then and that it's all just kind of metaphor for us now and all just kind of figurative and not realizing that that God that moved back then is also the God who's still moving now, that he's still at work and he still has a people and he's still doing wonderful things. So this window into this living book of Exodus it's a window into not only what God did then, but it's a window into what God is doing now. So we've had some wonderful uh, sermons in this series that I think have been are windows into what God did then. He delivered his people from slavery. Well, first of all, he called a people. He built a people. He promised Abram he was going to do that. So he called a people, and he's, he delivered them from slavery. He baptized them through the Red Sea. He fed them with manna and quail. He's protecting them. All these things that he's doing with the people then. Uh, one, one of the things that we considered the last couple of weeks is that he, gave, he actually gave them rest. He actually commanded his people to rest. And this Sunday we're ad- adding a new element to this story that has been told for thousands of years. This living story that's playing out also right in front of us in the book of Exodus. And if you would, you can stand with me for the reading of God's word from Exodus chapter 23. For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield. But in the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey might have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien might be refreshed. Pay attention to all that I have said to you, and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. Three times a year you shall keep a feast to me. You shall keep the feast of the unleavened bread as I commanded you. You shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib, for in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. You shall keep the feast of harvest of the first fruits of your labor, of what you sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor. Three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God. Lord, speak to us through these words. Give us an insight into the kind of God that we worship and the kind of people that you have called us to be. We're entrusting these few minutes to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Y'all can be seated. All right, we have a plan this morning. We are, we literally have a feast to dine on, and we're going to spend a few minutes just sort of grabbing some of the details from this passage. Uh, I'm going to slow down a little bit and sort of uh, go back and, and read those passages again and draw some things out, and we're going to summarize a little bit of what's in there, and then we're going to look at a couple other passages and trying to make sense of what God was doing then and what he might be doing now. So let's look back at this passage. You hopefully have your Bible in front of you or at uh, your digital version if you're an um, iPhone Bible person. Beginning back in verse 10. For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield, but in the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard, with your olive orchard. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. Pay attention to all that I have said to you, and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. Just a few things. That Sabbath teaching is familiar to us. We've, just, we've spent the last two Sundays there. This Sabbath concept that God has built into us to a people takes place as an, a weekly interruption a weekly command to actually rest and trust the Lord. And it also plays out in a every seven-year interruption where they have a Sabbath year and give the land and give uh, the critters a, a year off. So it's, it's a really interesting thing where you see this pause, a weekly pause, and a weekly interruption. Okay? You may not really think about the Sabbath concept this way, but I want you to begin to think about the Sabbath as a feast, as a festival. Okay, let's continue reading. Three times a year you shall keep a feast to me. 
Okay, he's going to introduce three feasts now, and we'll talk a little bit about each of these. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread as I commanded you. You shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib, for in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. A couple of things that we can draw out of this first feast is there's food involved. Okay, eat. Commanding you to eat. All right, that's, does anybody like, okay, that sounds good. Anybody, other eaters, any foodies in the room? Like, okay, I, I like that idea. That sounds good. I think most of us, all of us eat officially, but some of us really enjoy it. And hopefully you're connecting to the thought that God has actually commanded them to feast and eat. But there's something in connection to their eating here. It's later in the passage. You shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib, for in it you came out of Egypt. So really the thought there is eat and remember. Eat and remember what God has done for you in delivering you from slavery. Okay, so we have the Sabbath. This is weekly and every seven-year pause and interruption. We have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is a feast where they eat and they remember. Okay, let's continue on in verse 16 and see what else we can add to this information we're gathering. It says, you shall keep the feast of the harvest. This is the second feast that's mentioned. The feast of the harvest are the first fruits of your labor of what you sow in the field. This feast is also called Shavuot. Now, the Hebrew speakers in the room may, may object to that. Shavuot is um, at least how it looks like to me is the, uh, the, the modern gringo that doesn't know Hebrew beyond what I read in a book and learned in seminary. But uh, if there are any Hebrew speakers in the room, it might be a little bit different. But that name, it's interesting, a lot of these feasts and festivals, um, they're like names of streets that are changed. Has you ever been to a town where you're driving around town and the street name changes midstream and you don't realize it? We lived in Columbia, South Carolina years ago, and this is, Columbia's notorious for this. You're driving down the street and the name has changed. The festivals and feasts have a lot of different names. This first festival, or excuse me, the second one here that's mentioned, the harvest of first, or the feast of harvest, is also called Shavuot. It's also called the harvest of first fruits. It's also called the feast of weeks. And it's also connected to the New Testament version called Pentecost. So there's like five different names of one street in this one little uh, festival. So the feast of harvest. Uh, interesting, it happens at the beginning of the harvest. I don't know of any uh, like official farmers we have in the room. We have some green thumbs in the room, Sue Metz. I don't want to call her out or attention her, but somebody who's clearly and Dan gifted it at the, the agricultural uh, concept. But um, I want you to think about this for a moment. We can at least consider what it must be like to have a, a, a feast and a harvest at the beginning, or a feast and a festival at the beginning of a harvest. That would be like celebrating and having a party with your first paycheck. Okay? You haven't had the rest of the paychecks yet. You haven't saved up a bunch of money, and you're not having a feast with a bunch of income that you've already gleaned. You're having a feast and a festival with the first fruits. You're having a party over with just the little bit that you got at the first beginning of the season. You don't know how the rest of the season is going to go. But these guys are depending on the Lord to provide for the rest of the season. That's pretty cool, isn't it? And God commands this feast. Have a feast at the beginning of the harvest, the front end, the, 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 it, the first fruits, and celebrate the Lord and trust the Lord through the rest of the season. Here's the, the next feast in verse 16, also in verse 16. Um, you shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor. This one also has some different names. This one is called Sukkot. It's later called Tabernacles, which is also later called, and in some different circumstances, called Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles and Booths, which it takes place at the end of the harvest. Okay, you've got the Feast of the First Fruits. This is the feast at the end of the harvest and where you gather in the fruit of your labor and you have a big party. Okay, enjoying how the Lord provided for you. Verses 17 through 19 give us a little bit of insight into the disposition of these feasts, how they kind of, the flavor. Three times in a year shall all your males appear before the Lord God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened or let the fat of my feast remain until morning. The best of the first fruits of your ground 
You shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Some of the things that we can glean from those passages, first of all, that all are present. This is a party for everybody. Okay? These three feasts and then this weekly Sabbath, it's all hands on deck. Bring everybody. Everybody's going to have a party. There's no leaven okay, in these feasts. There's no leftovers in these feasts. The concept is eat hearty and eat up. Stuff yourselves. In fact, one of the feasts, actually the feast of uh, the Passover, says that you don't leave any leftovers at all. So everybody leaves with unbuckling that belt, at their belt buckle there. And then also the thought is the best are brought in. This is premium feasting. This is premium worship. Okay. Now those are some, some, just some data. We're kind of gathering up some data on these feasts. Now let me give you a little geography of what's going on with Moses and the people at this point. We're going to pan out a little bit to begin to make sense of why this matters for us. First of all, uh, you just kind of listen to where Moses is. Per Exodus chapter 20, verse 21, the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Moses is getting these details about these feasts on the top of the mountain. He's on the top of the mountain in thick darkness, you know, where God is coming down and speaking to him at the top of the mountain. The people of God are at, we'll call it um, base camp Sinai. Okay, they're at the bottom of the mountain. Now, God is sharing these details about these feasts. He's commanding these people about these feasts. Let's see what's going on at base camp Sinai. Turn over to chapter 32. Chapter 32 of Exodus. Moses is at the top of the mountain. God is giving him instructions about these feasts. Feasts of ingathering, feasts of the harvest, feast of the unleavened bread, the Sabbath. Okay, God is giving him this instruction. Meanwhile, back at the base of the mountain, let's see what's going on in chapter 32, beginning in verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was delayed in coming down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Okay, so Moses at the top of the mountain. Moses is doing what he's supposed to do. He's getting the word from the Lord. And the people of, of God back at base camp Sinai about to lose their minds. Okay, watch what happens. They're about to lose their minds. Up. Make us gods who shall go before us. So Aaron said to them, okay, let's do this. Take off your rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took all the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And Aaron received the gold from their hand. He fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. Okay, do you all know this story? Is this a familiar story to everybody in here? I, I hope so. Some of you might be hearing this story for the first time. You might be like, isn't this the people that he just led out of Egypt? Isn't the people that he just delivered from slavery and crossed the Red Sea or parted the Red Sea for them so that they could cross the Red Sea and defeated Pharaoh's armies for them? Is this the same group? Yes, it's the same people. If you've been paying attention to the story, they say, Aaron, put together a, 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 some gods for us that we can worship them. So he, they give him the gold. He makes this golden calf. And they said... These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I mean, just let, let that hit you for a moment. Is that criminal? I mean, is anybody else in the room just like really uncomfortable with it? I, like, I can't believe this is happening. I, I hope you're appreciating that this is a pretty tragic circumstance at the base of at base camp Sinai. So Aaron saw this, or when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. God is on, uh, Moses is on the top of the mountain getting instructions from God, commandments of how to feast for the people of God. Meanwhile, back at base camp Sinai, they're having their own little feast. Their own little we've lost our mind feast. Let's see how it unfolds. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings and the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. 
a lot of the same ingredients of what God is commanding Moses at the top of the mountain. Eating and being wholehearted and being all present. But down here at the base of the camp, of the, or at, at base camp Sinai, those same things are, are there, except God's not part of it. It's a golden calf as a centerpiece. This is a tragic, tragic little feast taking place at the bottom of the mountain. In some ways, you could really call this the anti-feast. God's at the top of the mountain with Moses, giving him instructions on commanded feasts. Meanwhile, at base camp Sinai, is taking place the anti-feast. All right, let's see what happens after this. I'm just going to kind of give a, uh, just a summary. Uh, let's, let's figure out where Moses is. Moses is still at the top of the mountain. And in verse 7, the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They're feasting wrongly. They're feasting godlessly. And God has summarized this as corruption. Godless feasting for these people at base camp Sinai is synonymous in God's estimation here as corruption. He says, go back down the mountain. So Moses goes down the mountain. You can kind of follow the headings there. Uh, he goes down the mountain. There's a time of judgment. Um, let, let's, let's see what happens as he's coming down the mountain, though, in verse 19. As soon as he came near the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hands, and he broke them at the foot of the mountain. Okay, so that's a nice little image. He's got these tablets. You know, we've always seen the, the image of these two tablets. He's, he, in, in his anger, he dropped them, and they're broken. Okay, so he comes back down the mountain, and then later on, there's a time of judgment. They mobilize the Levites. It says in verse 28, 3,000 men of the people fell to the sword. Okay, so it's a time of judgment. And then God commands them in chapter 33 to leave Sinai. Okay, that might sound like, well, it's just a geographic relocation, but this is actually a tragic command. Because look what it says. It says in verse 3, I'm telling you to go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned and no one put on his ornaments what ornaments they had left, the, the ornaments that he hadn't thrown into the fire to, to make a golden calf. God says, I'm not going to go up with you. You're going to go to this land flowing with milk and honey, but I'm not going to go up with you. And they recognize this is a disastrous command. But here's what's cool. At that point, you see the little heading there of Moses interceding. Moses intercedes for this people. And then in the first part of chapter 34, this famous passage where God reveals himself to Moses. He discloses his name to Moses. And then he tells Moses, come on back up the mountain. I'm going to give you some more. I'm going to renew this covenant with this people. Okay, he tells them, come on back up this mountain. Y'all don't need to move out just yet. Come on back up this mountain, and I'm going to renew the covenant with you. So that's where we're going to pick up in chapter 34. Moses makes new tablets, um, and we're going to pick up in verse 10. God said, Behold, I am making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among you are shall, uh, among you are, shall, excuse me, and all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. This is good news. He's saying, I'm going to be with you after all. Moses interceded for you, and I relented. I'm going to be with you after all. This is really good news. They're, they're still at Sinai that he's renewing this covenant. This is all going to come full circle in a minute. Okay, Hang in there with me. You're going to see the connection to the festivals here in a minute. In verse 12, he says, Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars, break their pillars, cut down their ashram, for you shall worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. And when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods and you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice. You take of their daughters and their sons and their daughters whore after their gods and make your sons whore after their gods. You shall not make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. Okay, there's some way there's sort of this recasting 
of the Ten Commandments. You see little hints of the Ten Commandments in there. Look what he says next. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. I don't know about you, but it seems like kind of a strange place here to start talking about these feasts again. Is it, doesn't it seem kind of premature? I mean, we, you just had the anti-feast. 3,000 of you have, fell, have fallen to the sword. And then he starts talking about these feasts again. He's recasting this covenant with them. And he starts talking feasting again. Keep the feast of unleavened bread. Seven seven days you shall eat unleavened bread as I commanded you at the time appointed in the month of Abib. For in the month of Abib you came out of Egypt. Eat and remember. Okay? The same thing he told Moses the first time around. He's telling him again. Eat and remember. All that open the womb are mine, all your male livestock, the firstborn of, firstborn of cow and sheep, the firstborn of donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. Same concepts. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. You shall observe, here's the other one, the feast of weeks, the first fruits of wheat harvest, and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. Three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. Okay, we're on the tail end of this whole aftermath of the golden calf, the anti-feast, and God is recasting God-commanded feasts, complete with the details and the disposition. In verse 18, keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread. In verse 21, rest on the seventh day. In verse 22, observe the Feast of Weeks, observe the Feast of Ingathering. In verse 25, he's going to recommand, eat the Passover. He's commanding his people to feast in this covenant mulligan. All right, this is really good news. You'll see here in a moment why this is great news. First of all, we're going to, I'm going to point out some other passages that you can look at later if you'd like. But just I want you to notice right here that feasting is commanded by our God. Feasting is commanded by our God right out of the chute. I mean, they're at Sinai. They've crossed the Red Sea. And feasting is part of the command group. The content, the commandments are embedded within this, this, these commands to feast. And feasting is then recommanded after the anti-feast. Just notice that. It's recommanded after the anti-feast. Now, all over our Old Testaments, there are other, other passages about feasting. It is a, I mean, it's a book. Our, our entire Old Testament is just saturated with these details about all these feasts. Here are just a few references. Exodus chapter 12 are the details on the Passover feast. Leviticus chapter 16 and 23 are the passages about the Day of Atonement, yet another feast. Leviticus 23 goes into the Sabbath, the Passover, the first fruits, slash weeks, slash harvest, slash Pentecost. Details. The trumpets uh, feast, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Booths, all these instructions in Leviticus chapter 23. In Leviticus chapter 25, the Sabbath year and the year of Jubilee. Numbers 28, Offerings for each of these feasts, daily, Sabbath, monthly, Passover, Feast of Weeks, Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, and Feast of Booths, all over our Old Testaments. Deuteronomy chapter 15, at the end of the wilderness wanderings, Moses recasts all of these things, reminds the people of God after their movement in the wilderness, a different mountain, was Sinai, now it's Mount Nebo, and there's commands recast yet again in Deuteronomy 15 regarding the Sabbath year in Deuteronomy 16 regarding Passover, Feast of Weeks, and Feast of Booths. God commands His people to be festive. God commands His people to celebrate because He's given them reason to celebrate. He's given them reason to celebrate. Okay. I just have a few thoughts. What in the world does this have to do with us? That's ancient stuff. I mean, we don't do these feasts anymore necessarily, do we? I mean, I don't know. The last time I did the Feast of Ingathering, it hadn't happened in a while. I can't know if it's ever happened. You might be wondering, what in the world does this have to do with us? First of all, just consider this. We have a God that wants us to celebrate. 
we have a God that has commanded celebration. Look at this passage, man. This is so good. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Just flip over a few pages. You can get there. I'll give you a minute. And just as you're turning there, I just want you, I want you to hear this. We have a God that has commanded his people to rest and to celebrate. You have a God that's commanded you to do what? Any impressions people might have about our God, we can take them to passages like this and go, you know what? We have a God that has actually commanded rest and commanded feasting. What an unbelievable God. That is like an absolute and complete shocker. Listen to this in Deuteronomy chapter 4. At the end of the wilderness wanderings, here they are now on Nebo. Moses shares these thoughts. Um, in verse 5, See, I have taught you my statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear of these statutes, your God does what? Your God commands you to feast? Your God commands you to rest? I mean, just personalize this. If you had a boss that commanded you to feast and rest, would you be like, I have the best boss ever? If the head of your home commanded his family, I command you to feast and rest, you'd be like, my dad is such an ogre. You're like, what an awesome dad. What an awesome God commanding them. And Moses is making this point here. He says, surely when the other people, all the ites around you, in this land you're going into, when they see, they'll say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. When they see your statutes, when they see your commandments, they go, what an unbelievable group of commandments and God behind those commandments. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call on him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today. Like Moses at the end of the wilderness wandering, saying, do you realize the kind of God that you have? The neighbors, their gods are going to be asking them to sacrifice their children to Dagon or Moloch. But your God, he's going to say, rest. I command you to rest. And I command you to feast. What a shocking God. Who in the world has a God like that? We do. The same God of the Exodus is the same God in Greenville, Texas for the people of God in this room. Man, God, can you just enjoy that with me for a minute? Other gods are saying, give me your firstborn. Come here, fiery furnace. There you go, Moloch, Dagon. Our God says, rest. Our God says, feast. Man, what a scandal. <laughs> what a scandal. We have a God that commands us to celebrate. We have a God that gives us reason to celebrate. We have a God that has given us profound reason for feasting. In the passage that we started with this morning in Exodus chapter 23, I pointed that out where we eat and remember Eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib, for in it you came out of Egypt. Consider this for a moment. This is a feast that's commanded that's pointing back to the feast of Passover, which was actually where and how they were or delivered. They were delivered in and through a feast. Let that hit you more. The feast of Passover, now granted, is a gruesome feast, you can hear the shrieks of Egypt in the background. You're sitting there with your feet shod and your loins girded, your staff in hand. You're gobbling down that Passover lamb while blood is slathering the lentils. They're delivered in a feast, remembering of all things what God has done for them because God has given them reason to feast. Man, is that any different now? We should be the happiest people in the world. We should be the most feasting people in the world. Man, those Christians, they feast all the time. 
Call it a potluck. I don't care what you call it. Call it a ham sandwich. Do it. Because we should be that people where the people are going, can you believe the revelry? Can you believe the parties these people have? Can you believe the gatherings where they eat and remember? Because they have so much to remember. Am I right? Man, what a bunch of ogres we can be. Uh, man, life's so hard being a Christian. Really? You have reason to feast. You have reason for revelry. You have reason for celebration. You have reason for festival. Because he's given us reason in the person and work of Christ. Man, we have reason. Our feasts and festivals might look different, but we have plenty of reasons to eat and, can I say this? Remember. Eat and remember. I hope that's kind of Checking, kind of creating a little itch for you that we'll actually partake of here in a moment. Here's the third thing. Feasts and festivals and celebrations are the best defense in the world. I don't know if you were paying attention to the flow of the storyline. I took a little time to kind of develop the flow there because I wanted you to see where Moses was. I wanted you to see where the people of God were. I want you to see what's going on on top of the mountain, what's going on down at the bottom of the mountain, and I want you to see the content of the recasting of the covenant. In the flow of the story, Moses at the top of the mountain getting the instructions okay, from God on feasting. Commandments of feasting. The anti-feast is going on down the bottom of the mountain at base camp Sinai. It's recast then in light of... Let me just kind of draw this out. Let's look back, or if you would, or you know, if you'd like to, back in Exodus chapter was around 33-34 I didn't make a good note of where to find this so give me a second to kind of get my head around it here the covenant is renewed okay Thank you all for hanging in there. Hopefully you, haven't hung in, hopefully you have hung in there with me. In Exodus chapter 34, where the covenant's recast. Okay, look at how this unfolds. Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare to you in your midst. Tear down their altars. That's verse 13. Look at verse 15. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, you're invited to eat of their sacrifice... And then fast forward over to verse 18. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. And then verse 21. Seventh day you shall rest. Feast in the Sabbath. Verse 22. Feast of weeks, feast of ingatherings. I don't know if you're paying attention to this, but realize the best defense against falling to the anti-feasts is a good offense. And the good offense is to be a feasting people. Man, not only is it commanded, it's actually a good offense. It's actually the best defense is a good offense to be about the work of regularly celebrating and remembering who he is and all that he has done. Man, lest you make a covenant with all the ites, feast. I hope that sounds a little bit familiar to you. I was wondering if there might be some little snapshots in our New Testament along these lines. Listen to this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is a pretty gruesome golden calf circumstance. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, listen to what unfolds at the beginning of this passage. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that's not tolerated even among pagans for a man has his father's wife. It's a gruesome passage. And you're arrogant. Ought not you rather mourn? Let him, let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I'm present in spirit. As if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. This sounds like a little New Testament version of the golden calf. Complete with the Levites and the swords. This is a retelling of that whole event in a different circumstance. He says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. As you be, We're talking feasting language now. 
as you really are unleavened, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. And then he says in this next verse, let us therefore celebrate the festival not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. The best defense, Corinthian church, against the sin that you've obviously connected to, against the, the covenants that you've made with the ites, to go back and grab that language, is to celebrate with Christ in the very center. Celebration is the best defense because it's a good Offense, God-focused, Christ-centered feasting is the best defense. In place of, don't eat from that forbidden tree. The best defense is a good offense. Eat from a garden full of trees, people of God. Eat from a garden full of trees, people of God. Feast. Festivals celebrations because we of all people have good reason to do all of the above. That's the best defense is a good offense. How might this play out practically? You're about to participate in it. We do it every single week in the supper. But I'll just offer this too practically. The best defense against falling to the ites, covenants with the ites in the world is to have people in your home breaking bread together, enjoying Christ as you spend time together. Nothing sexy, nothing fancy. There won't be any light show. There won't be any music playing behind you, no videos. It's just going to be you doing the simple thing of enjoying Christ as you spend time with one another, feasting and celebrating as we have reason to do. Lastly, Colossians chapter 2 is a passage we mentioned last week. Colossians chapter 2 is a little window into where the Sabbath fits for us. Okay? It's also a window into where the festivals fit for us. It's an important little punctuation to put in this conversation. So listen to this passage. You might remember it from last week. Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 16. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. He's just listed a bunch of the things we've been considering this morning. These festivals and feasts and these instructions. Where do they fit in the life of the Christian, a modern, modern follower of Christ? Well, they're not binding. Let no one pass judgment on you. But just because they're not binding doesn't mean they're not beneficial. They're not binding but the spirit of these festivals, the spirit of these feasts can still very much be beneficial. Together enjoying the shadow and pointing us toward the substance that is Christ. They are windows into worship. The feasts and the festivals that we may have together, they are windows into what God has given us in Christ. Some of those feasts that we celebrate over the year are Advent, Epiphany, Lent, Easter, and Pentecost. Pentecost was last Sunday. I'm hoping in the future Pentecost will be a regular celebration for us. It's the birthplace of the church. Great place to enjoy the first gatherings, right? The beginning of the harvest. What a great place for us to enjoy what God has done for us. In Christ. This is the last thing I was thinking about these feasts. Uh, this is a passage I shared last week, but what a great, great little window. It's in Luke chapter 4, and uh, I'll share this passage just before we go to the supper. One of the sweetest things about the feasts and festivals is the notion that God will be revealed in those feasts and festivals, that He'll actually show up and do something in those feasts and festivals in terms of revelation. Okay, here's a little example. You might miss it, so I'll share it with you and help you see it. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Okay, it's a feast, a weekly feast. And he stood up to read. 
And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Okay, just let, let this moment hit you, please. Just imagine being at synagogue that day. You're going to go observe the Sabbath like a good Jew. You show up at synagogue that day in Nazareth of all places. That's like uh, Quinlan, you know, uh, like uh, what was the other town beyond Quinlan that we compared it to? Hawk Cove. <laughs> like you gathered at the local synagogue at Hawk Cove, okay? And Jesus shows up and he begins to read the book of Isaiah. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then He closes the book and then He goes off and sits down. Here's how it unfolded. He rolled up the scroll so it wasn't necessarily a slap it closed. He rolled up the scroll. You could imagine this moment. And he gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all the synagogue there in Hawk Cove are fixed on him. And he says to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He shows up in something as regular as a weekly Sabbath gathering at the local synagogue. He reads the passage in the ultimate mic drop. He says, guess what? This passage that you're enjoying this morning that I just read is being fulfilled right here in your presence. Every time we celebrate, God shows up in that. He shows up in that and does an ultimate mic drop and says, I'm here with you in this. What an unbelievable, joyful promise we have in that that he not only has accomplished something that's worth remembering while we eat, but he actually shows up in the actual celebration and drops the mic, saying, here I am, the fulfillment of what you're celebrating. The Passover meal is the perfect example of that. I'll share a passage with you uh, for our Passover, uh, I mean for our Lord's Supper slash Passover, I should say, uh, because we continue to celebrate the Passover. I don't know if you realize that. We do it every Sunday. Uh, I would like to invite uh, parents, if you would, though, to grab your kids. We're going to have all of our nursery workers come in here for our supper this morning. So just it, it won't be weird because I'm actually telling you to do this right now. Parents, if you have kids in the nursery, you can go ahead and grab them. You can do that like right now. So I'll give you a moment while I'm kind of setting the stage uh, here. You might miss a little of the introductory material, but I want to give you a chance to gather your little ones. The Passover is a feast. You remember that? Passover is a feast. It's a celebration where they remember God's deliverance from Egypt. Right? With food. It's a feast. All present, enjoying themselves. That's what's going down here. The first day of unleavened bread is also the time of the Passover. In verse 17 of Matthew chapter 26... Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you eat or where will you have us prepared for you to eat the Passover? That's the context. Here he is in a feast and he's going to show up and have a mic drop. We enjoy a mic drop every single week. He's in this feast. You go down the page and the, it, there's a passage, a little heading there that says the institution of the Lord's Supper. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it gave it to the disciples. He took the mic. And he said, take and eat. This is my body. I'm right here with you. I'm fulfilling this thing you've been doing for 1,500 years <laughs> right now in your presence. And he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. Another mic drop. 
This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many of the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of this vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I'm right here with you in this feast. He does that with us every week. He's right here with us in this feast. I want to invite you, if you would, during our time of a supper, families uh, with little ones, thank you all for, for doing that in a way that was uh, expeditious. Um, I want to invite you to eat every bit of it. That was the charge for the Passover meal. Gobble it up. Gobble up. It's for you, all of you. If you're trusting Christ as your Savior and Lord, then I want to invite you as families or as... Uh, if you're by yourself this morning, go with another family or a couple and come up to these tables here in a moment as we begin to sing. There will be elders uh, up here to distribute the elements to you. And as families, maybe pull off to the side, spend some time in prayer together, and enjoy this unbelievable reality that our God has given us reason to celebrate, and He's shown up to eat with us. He's in and with us in the moment. Y'all come on, if you would, as we begin to sing.